The world would tell you that a smart person has all the answers. But is that really true? What if we've been getting it wrong all along? In Adam Grant's groundbreaking new book, he argues that it's actually the ability to rethink and unlearn that separates the best of us. In today's episode, we'll talk about what that means for you and your money. Welcome to the Delve Into Money podcast. I am your host, Curtis Haney. This is the personal finance podcast where we attempt to demystify money by reviewing books and applying what we learn to our own financial journeys. Thank you so much for joining us today on episode number 18 of the Delve Into Money podcast. I want to thank you for supporting the podcast, for listening here today. If you have not reviewed the podcast, I'd, I'd encourage you to pause real quickly, go to Apple Podcast, and give us a five-star rating and review. It is social proof that helps us as we continue on this journey. I've had so much fun throughout this process, and I can't wait for all the things that I have in front of us. I also want to thank those of you that supported Money and Marriage, my new ebook. It has been a great launch with a lot of great feedback, and we just appreciate you and us bearing our hearts in this. We have so much more coming with that. I cannot wait to update it because we already have plans for that. I can't wait for you guys to see all that is coming with Money and Marriage. If you have not ordered it, I would encourage you to order it now. Now is the perfect time to be starting in that planning process with your spouse. Today, we're going to talk about a book by Adam Grant called Think Again. In this book, Adam talks that we need to argue like we're right, but listen like we're wrong. He investigates how we can embrace the joy of being wrong and brings nuisance to charged conversations and discussions amongst lifelong learners. With Think Again, Adam Grant reveals that we don't need to believe everything we think or internalize everything that we feel. It's an invitation, this book is, to rethink and consider having mental flexibility in what we believe and what we think. If knowledge is power, knowing what we don't know is wisdom. In the book, uh, Adam breaks it down into three different sections. Section one, he wants us to think about opening our mind. In section two, he talks about how we can encourage other people to think again or rethink their positions. And then in section three, he goes about how to create a community of lifelong learners. A lot of this research is based off of a trio of psychologists uh, that conducted a review of 33 studies, they found that everyone, in everyone, the majority of answer revisions were from wrong to right. This phenomenon is known as the first instinct fallacy. But as he digs in, Adam Grant, more recent studies actually point to a different explanation. It's not so much that changing your answer improves your score, as it is considering whether you should change it. So it's that pause and rethinking 
of whether your answer is right that actually makes your answer more likely to be right, whether you change the answer or not. This was super interesting because me as, you know, an expert learner, uh, sarcastically calling us that, you know, I go back to my school years and I wasn't the best student and I always surmised it was always my goal not to get the highest grade on the test, uh, especially when you're talking about multiple choice. It was my goal to be the first one out of the classroom. And so I very much held to the idea that my first instinct was going to be the right instinct. And so I would rush through those tests and there was no more pride than being the first one out of the room. I see today, I see how foolish that is. One, from the perspective of I wasn't trying or caring how much I learned out of the material, but two, this first instinct fallacy that Adam uh, Grant talks about. Cognitively, we just prefer to hold on to our old views. It requires us less energy to do so. Uh, Sometimes we even wrap up our identity in the answers that come with those views. Uh, It also, when when we question our old views, it makes the world less predictable and less comfortable. So when we hold on to views that we've held on to for a long time, it makes that noise that's in our head uh, recede to the background and just become an everyday thing. So as we, you know, we have when, as you drive through your neighborhood, uh, you do not, or wherever you live, you do not recognize all the things around you because over time, those have uh, receded because they're what you expect. And it's only when there's something unexpected that you notice. So when something new comes, you will notice that new thing. So the th- same thing holds with our views and, and our opinions on different items. And that our ability to not predict or, or uh, not have that prediction makes us less comfortable. And it, that discomfort leads to us trying to find ways to get comfortable again. So it means that we hold on to views that we may not necessarily be able to support, but they're views that are comfortable and don't make us have to think. So in this book, Adam Grant says that his aim is to explore how rethinking happens, and he sought to find some compelling evidence in some of the world's most skilled rethinkers. In the book, Adam says a hallmark of wisdom is knowing when it's time to abandon some of your most treasured tools and some of the most treasured parts of your identity. He talks about the rethinking cycle and the overconfident cycle. And the rethinking cycle, uh, he talks about it's a cycle that's, you know, you have discovery, then you have humility, you have doubt, and then you have curiosity. And so you discover something new, you're then humbled because you find something that is not completely right. You then have doubt because you continue to see more evidence. So then you have curiosity and you go back into discovery mode until you come to a new belief or you adopt some of those new things. The overconfidence cycle is uh, this idea that we have, we are validated. So we get prideful, we get very convicted about what we're believing, and then we have confirmation bias and desirability biases that, that continue to then lead back into more validation, more pride, more conviction. And it means that anytime that there's new evidence, we reject that evidence and we don't give that evidence a chance 
to challenge our our beliefs. And this goes back to what I mentioned that we cognitively prefer to hold on to those old views because it requires less energy, it is part of our identity, and it makes the world less predictable, which makes us uncomfortable. And this is why I've typically, and I I didn't know this was part of a rethinking framework, but I will a lot of times lean into the discomfort and, and whether that's making jokes that make people uncomfortable, whether that's challenging the beliefs that I have, this is something that I've always enjoyed doing. And I think I've just enjoyed going against the flow in a lot of ways, but in some ways that's helped me uh, be decent at rethinking. Adam Grant says that the curse of knowledge is that it closes our minds to what we don't know. Good judgment depends on having the skill and the will to open our minds. He talks about the Dunning-Kruger effect, and it's when we uh, lack confidence at something that we're most likely to be brimming with overconfidence. In the original studies, people who scored the lowest on tests of logical reasoning, grammar, and sense of humor had the most inflated opinions of their skill. On average, they believed they did better than 62% of their peers, but in reality, they outperformed only 12 of them. The less intelligent we are in a particular domain, the more we seem to overestimate our actual intelligence in that domain. And I think we see this in a lot of different things. You will see these YouTube videos of people going around and questioning people's political beliefs. And in so many cases, and I know this is a selection bias, but in so many cases, you see people that very strongly believe the things that they're talking about. But when asked about the details, they cannot produce any of the details that uh, back up their belief. And it's because they don't have that much knowledge about it. But in that lack of knowledge, they become overconfident and really gripped onto that, that conviction, then looked for confirmation bias. We do this all the time in the news that we choose and the sources that we choose to get information that brings us validation and then brings us pride in what we're believing, which then results in these people going out and campaigning for what they say they believe. The way that this then applies to Think Again, the book, and it's as we get more knowledgeable, we should become less confident in our answers. Your mind is opened to all the other possibilities out there, and those possibilities then allow you to adopt new information into your framework. It may not always change your opinion, but it can affect the way you view your opinion in the world or in the surroundings that you're in. As we're armed with more knowledge, your less confident solution is actually a more solid conclusion than the one you had before. And I think people struggle with that idea is that if they show any doubt in something, if they they have a a break or a gap in their confidence that they look like they don't know what they're talking about. But the reality is, is that lack of confidence is going to help you dig in, learn more, and actually be more knowledgeable in what you're trying to talk about, what you're trying to learn. And this is really bad on social media. On social media, we see people all the time. They go viral. They get popular 
And it's not because of how measured they are in their response. It's because of how out there they are. And if they can evoke some emotion, that emotion then results in them becoming popular. And then they are the voices that we hear the loudest because measured responses don't go viral. Measured responses stay in their little bubble, but responses that are very over the top and dramatic have a better chance of getting more feedback, positive and negative. So I think that's an interesting thing to think about. In today's world, we need to be even more willing to think again or rethink what we're believing, take in additional information, because if we don't, we can live in echo chambers very, very easily. So enough with that intro. Let's jump in to the takeaways. Takeaway number one is doubt is part of our process. And I've already talked about this a little bit. When our imposter fears crop up, the usual advice is to ignore them. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. Instead, we might be better off embracing those fears because they can give us three benefits of doubt. And this is from the book. The first is the upside of feeling like an imposter is that we can motivate us to work harder. The second, imposter thoughts can motivate us to work smarter. When we don't believe we're going to win, we have nothing to lose by rethinking our strategy. Third, feeling like an imposter can make us better learners. Some of, some of us have doubts about our knowledge and our skills, and that encourages us to seek out insights from others. We have to learn from those around us. The financial application from this is that so many times in money, people want to be seen like they know what they're doing. And, and for someone in my position where I've um, always been around money, I've always worked in jobs uh, where I'm responsible for money in businesses can be very easy to try and fake like you know everything, like you know the answer. But it is okay if you don't know anything. And this goes for your personal finances. Feeling insecure and doubtful shouldn't shut you down. It should make you hungry. So often you see people make poor financial decisions because they're unwilling to admit they don't know. This could be when you go to buy that new car, instead of being willing to ask questions, you let the salesman pressure you into the, the next level up vehicle and then get their financing, even though you didn't do any research to know what is a good rate or good terms or anything like that. That feeling of insecurity, that feeling of doubt leads to you being willing to be pressured by someone because you don't want to seem like someone who doesn't know. Another way that we can do this is in the stock market, is if we don't understand something, it can be very easy to just try and fill the void, or you can even be ignore it. So it's ignoring things that you aren't comfortable and don't know. But it's our job that we need to embrace the doubt. Embracing the doubt allows us to 
dig in and research and learn and better ourselves so that in the future we can make more good decisions. In the book, The Psychology of Money, he talks about this of we make the decisions we make based off the framework that we have. And so we should not beat ourselves up because of those decisions, because we made the best decision we could with the information we had. So we need to look at the information we have. We need to improve upon that. And then that will help us make a better decision in the future. And so don't shut down because of doubt. So often doubt will affect our confidence, which then in turn affects our ability to continue on. Ways that we can learn about personal finance, whether it be, you know, how learn about loans, whether it be learn about cryptocurrencies, whether it be learn about the stock market is we can do research. There are a lot of great books out there. You can always pick up a book. I've recommended The Psychology of Money a number of times. I will continue to recommend it. If you're looking at a specific lane, uh, you can always ask me. I'd be willing to help direct you the right way, but it could also be asking the people around you. And so if you know someone who's an expert, be willing to ask questions, be willing to say that you don't know. A good technique is that we need to think about what we're trying to learn as if we're going to teach it and try and teach it to someone else. So find something you're uncomfortable with and then seek ways to learn about it and then try and teach it to someone close to you. Takeaway number two from the book is that we want to operate like a scientist. So as we think about a scientist, we think about the scientific method. You have an observation or question that you then research. You come up with a hypothesis. You test with experiments. You then analyze the data and then you report on your conclusions. When we operate on the scientist, the most important thing here is that operating like a scientist detaches our identity from that opinion. And I think that's where we go wrong so, so often when we have strong opinions is we allow that opinion to become part of our identity. And when it becomes part of our identity, admitting we're wrong then means that our identity has been squashed has been um, damaged, has been hurt in some way. And so you need to look for this as you talk to people, as if their identity is tied to the opinion they have, it's time to ask questions. So many times, people truly do know why their identity is tied to that, and that is okay. But there are still going to be a lot of times that we have people attaching opinions that they have to their identity in ways that aren't healthy or aren't good. And then that means that they can't let go of those opinions. So we can counteract this by using the scientific method and operate like a scientist. Adam Grant says, our opinions can become so sacred that we grow hostile to the mere thought of being wrong and the totalitarian ego leaps into silence counter arguments squashing contrary evidence and close the door 
on learning. So we want to do whatever we can to stop that from happening. If someone holds their identity in something and is selling it to me, I'm going to naturally hesitate to accept. So when we counter new information, we have a choice. We can attach our opinions to our identity and stand our ground in stubbornness, preaching and prosecuting, which he talks about preachers, prosecutors, and scientists as kind of some frameworks as the way people address opinions. But we want to operate like scientists, defining ourselves as people that are committed to truth, even if it means proving our own views wrong. There are a few ways that we can do this. We want to begin with questions, not answers. So we want to be a seeker of truth, not a seeker of your current belief, not a seeker of those things that lead to confirmation bias. We want to ask questions. We want to research. We want to hypothesize. We want to test. We want to analyze. We want to report. This is the scientific method. The way that this applies to your money is we want to be a tinker with our budget. We don't want to keep budgeting the same thing over and over again. When we do that, we don't question the reason we're doing that. This is why I like to continue to look at each individual transaction because looking at those transactions requires me to ask a question every time I look. I like to do this at my job as well. If we just continue to do things the way they've always been done, you're just going to be that person in that dead-end job that never grows and never does anything new. But in all of my jobs, I've taken the same scientific approach of asking the same questions. In the long run, it's going to lead to promotions, it's going to lead to more income, and it's going to lead to more happiness because you will have agency in your job. From the very beginning of my career, I took this mindset. I didn't really know why I was taking this mindset, but I think it was really just wanting to impress the people around me. And as problems came up, I would be the first one to jump and try and figure out how to solve those problems. Back at my uh, second professional job, there was a guy in a, in a different department who had created some Excel macros and no one in our department knew how to figure those macros out because that employee had left. So we couldn't ask him those questions anymore. I volunteered to look at those and through Googling and research and some hard work, I figured out how those macros worked. That knowledge then helped me fix the macros so we could continue to use them. But then it led to me ultimately creating more things that helped make my job and other people's jobs easier. This mindset then led to me doing this in so many other ways, and I can't even begin to trace all the paths that I've been on, all the things that I've learned and done that just came from that one decision early on to learn about Excel and learn about Excel macros. So I would encourage you in your job to take ownership of this to take ownership of your job, and to ask these questions. Ask why, why, why. Asking questions also means that you're going to be more quick to change something that's failing. So instead of having it part of your identity, you're going to be more willing to pivot when something isn't working like you expect it. 
Adam Grant says in his book, you want to define your identity in terms of values, not opinions. And so your values are what define you, not the opinions that you have about things of this world. So your values are a much higher guide to be guided by. The last takeaway that we have for today is we want to seek out information that goes against your views. This is an iteration on the last one because not only do we want to think scientifically, scientifically is just asking questions as we come about, but in this last one, it is actually seeking out information that's counter to what you believe. And Adam Grant talks about building a challenge network. We want to invite people in that have different opinions than us and be willing to carry on those conversations. Invite others to question your thinking or how you got to a point that you've gotten to. And in this, we want to try and learn from all the people that we meet. It's so easy for people to shirk or pull away from conflict. But when conflict is constructive, conflict can be a great learning mechanism. And sometimes it's going to help you solidify your opinion. Other times it's going to help you reframe or rethink your opinion. But this conflict, being in these challenge networks, is going to help you as you go about your life because it's going to help you become more confident and strong in your opinions. And when I use confident, that's probably not the right word because we talked about how uh, you're going to actually be less confident about your opinion, but you'll be more confident in your ability to understand the things that you run into in this world. This is extremely hard to do. It's extremely hard to seek out information that goes against the view that you have. But it is important that you do it because that will also help you frame how you talk to people with different opinions. Because as you seek that information out, you become more willing to have conversations and you actually even know how to address those people. One thing that I'm a, I'm a conservative and, and I've been a conservative pretty much my whole life, but I have been challenging intentionally those views. And what has resulted from that is a few things. It's I'm able to see the humanity in everyone's opinions. And so when I'm able to see the humanity in the people that surround me, it makes it harder for me to demonize or vilify those people. So it's not that I hold my views any less strongly. It's just that I see the other people as human and I see how they can get to the belief that they've gotten to. And so many people on both sides of the political aisle don't do this. And I think it's super important as we go forward in the world today. But this goes even further than politics. This goes to so many things in our personal lives. Got a little bit off track there, but let's come back to the financial application. We want to be willing to seek out other views. Personally, I've always been kind of an index fund guy where I just want to sit and not touch my money, not have to think about it. But for periods of time, I've attempted trading because I've, I've been seeking out the information. I've looked into uh, 
how to do uh, how to do trading, and then I would try and do it for short periods of time. I wanted to understand the reason some people felt like this was the way to go, and I can get it. It's a, it's addicting. It's also it does make you feel very smart when you can analyze a change in the chart and figure that out. I also you know explore and research dividends, dividend stocks, or real estate or other things. And as you do that, you can understand why people would like those things. But when I come back to it, I want personally my things to be more hands-off. So I continue to come back to the same belief that I've always had. But by seeking out information that goes against my views, goes against what I believe is the best for me and for most people, I'm able to better understand the arguments that others have about that information. Again, this is just a different way to rethink. Let's sum it up real quick as we wrap the episode up. Takeaway number one is we want to understand that doubt is part of the process. We want to embrace doubt and we want to allow doubt to force us, encourage us to research, encourage us to dig in. Takeaway number two is we want to operate like a scientist. We want to separate our opinions from our identity. And then we want to ask questions, research, tinker, and dive in deep. We want to define our identity by values, not by opinions. And then takeaway number three, we want to seek out opinions that go against our views. We want to create challenge networks so that we can solidify or modify our views based off of the things that we learn. And when we get to the end, we'll be better informed. We'll have more concrete beliefs. Even if we're less confident in them, we will be more knowledgeable than we previously were. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I will provide a link to the book, Think Again, by Adam Grant. I would love if you could subscribe to this podcast, share it with someone that you think might gain some value. Go to delveintomoney.com and check out all the resources there. Until next week, remember, healthy financial decisions are intentional financial decisions. Intentional decisions this week lead to a healthy financial future. Start today and we'll see you next week.